0: Welcome to the second session of The Water Cooler. I want to again thank Equa Marketing and Naren who um, have been so generous in setting all this up. Um, We became fast friends through a series of podcasts which is fun to build out that network network over time and that's the interesting thing about podcasting. It seems to be a lot of like-minded people that join that club and they're giving people and um, generous people and also inform people and so I like having those connections, um, both at a professional and a personal level. So I'm really grateful to be here again with you today. This is the second session, like I mentioned, we presented a session on accountability in November and Clarity was actually supposed to be in December. And I've been so in this hyper, I was explaining to Naren that I've been so into high performance that I started to think I was bulletproof, got a little cocky and ended up getting sick. because I was burning the candle at both ends at the beginning of December, but uh, all is good and we'll get back on track. And this is a super important topic um, as we start the new year. Uh, It's a passion of mine. I can talk to you about some of the struggles that I've had um, by not being clear um, of my intentions, of what I wanted, about how I wanted to feel, about how I was relating with people, about my character and how that led me to struggle and then that once the path is well-defined, then things just kind of start to synergize. But it definitely takes a strategy, and it doesn't happen by accident. So I'll talk to you about four, four specific strategies that have worked really well for me today. And it's not just my theory. That's the thing that I've, I've struggled with um, over a couple of decades of really being in the leadership, self-improvement, business literature, is that there's a lot of things out there thrown around that you try and apply and you just don't see results with and I've struggled with that. These are things that are, are scientific based, they're based on research, they're best practices, and they're not just things that work for me, they work for dentists as much as the CEO in Silicon Valley, as much as the celebrity that performs on stage in Broadway. Um, they're universal principles that you can use to gain control of your business and your life. So let's just go ahead and dive into that. Again, this is the beginning of 2019, My quest as a high-performance coach is to help dentists have their best year every year, and that's a predictable process if you do things the right way. Uh, If you do things the wrong way, it can create a lot of struggle, and uh, I'll talk to you about how I've engineered struggle and how I've engineered success, how I've engineered pain and how I've engineered fulfillment, for better or worse, um, through the conversation today. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into that. Last session I think is an important foundation on this session so I'll review this very briefly just for a minute or two. Um, we talked about accountability. Accountability is the, the, the foundation of this whole concept. Um, I think there's a, there's a movement to put, point fingers and blame and certainly I've had um, struggles with that where I wanted to blame the hygienist or the front desk or the economy or the, uh, the phone not ringing and realizing and embracing that it's ultimately the leader's responsibility. It's ultimately the leader's fault. Um, I have something written on my whiteboard. And it seems kind of a little bit um, difficult to take on, this extreme accountability, to use a term by, by a best-selling book um, by Leif Babin and Jocko Wilnick. Um, but once you embrace the accountability, the term that I have on my whiteboard um, that I try and instill and in the people that I associate with is, my practice is not limited by its opportunity, it's limited by its leader. And that's full responsibility. That's saying, I hired these people, I trained these people, and if they're performing at high levels, certainly um, I could take some of the praise, but if things are struggling, there's an engineering problem and um, ultimately the buck stops with me why is that why can that be liberating or why should that be liberating because if it's the buck stops with you you stay in control and i think that's a very important thing as we kind of continue this conversation and develop people as powerful leaders so that they have a mastery of their both their practice and their life and integrate the two so that's the foundation of this conversation on clarity clarity today Um, my practice is not limited by its opportunity it's limited by its leader And the more we embrace that that concept, the more um, freedom that I think we have over the long term. So typically, I see dentists in a little bit of a dilemma. Um, And it goes back to a concept that Nair and I have talked a little bit about is dentists don't know what they want, and they're killing themselves to get it. And it sounds kind of foolish. As we bring that up but that's really what's happening and so I use this concept of blindfolded archery and now this young lady looks like she has some form of mastery here and so she's probably a little bit more able to perform blindfolded archery than most of us would be um, she has a coach there she looks like she knows what she's doing but a lot of time dentists are just striving for more um what more what like more revenue more cash flow more time off but it's a very um, ill-defined concept. Furthermore, we're trying to get our teams aligned with that. And so now we get frustrated with our teams because we don't. they don't know what we want and they're trying to hit those same targets with the same blindfold. And wouldn't it be just a lot easier to take the blindfold off and have clearly defined targets in our life and our work and integrate those so that they bring power to one another? And I say power um, as, a, as a very general term. The thing that that I know from really being deep into the research of the science of achievement and the science of fulfillment is that we can have all this achievement, we can have all the trappings of success and still feel really empty. And ultimately, if we're chasing money, if we're chasing more time off, we, we're not chasing that thing, we're chasing the feeling that we think that thing will bring us. And so what I'm trying to do with this clarity piece in this conversation is engineer something help you engineer something that works real well for you and helps you feel like you have more control more control over your emotions more control over your team that's not a power i don't mean that as a power hungry thing i mean that as something that you're being able to create something that that works well for you and your life so that that you can really contribute and make an impact at the level that you want when i have conversations with dentists by and large, that's what they want. They want to serve their patients. They want to serve their team. They want to serve their families. They want to serve their community. They may want to create a bit of a legacy, um, but you can't do that by constantly giving more than what you have because that leads to, to burnout. And um, I, I want to create a strategy, help create a strategy for people that creates a series of wins, a series of best years where we can get stronger and more control, uh, more reap more rewards and in some ways become more selfish so that we can be more selfless and give to that higher level that we always aspire to. So I think if we're going to enter a conversation of clarity, we have to respect that anytime we're doing anything, whether we take on a practice for the first time, or we're stepping into a leadership role for the first time, think about doing the first occlusal amalgam in dental school uh, for the first time, the first time we rode a bike, the first time we walked. The first time we did anything, we, we struggled at it. And dentists sometimes lose sight of that and they just want to be good at it right away. Um, and we have to embrace that this is always a process and a journey. And the process and the journey usually has four or five well-defined steps. One is clarity, so we have to know what we want, why we want it, and who we have to become to get it. Those are the first three three questions that I think are important. I'll dive into that at a little deeper level in a moment, but after clarity becomes commitment. You have to commit to mastering or stepping in or assuming or changing your identity, whatever this journey that we're engaging in. Then it takes courage because we have to realize that now we're getting to a little bit of a messy component because we We have to give ourselves almost a a permission to suck at it because we know that mastery comes as a series of repetitions and engaging in the process. So clarity, commitment, courage, then comes capability from the reps. And then comes the confidence, which is ultimately what everyone wants when they're engaging in any skill, new mindset, new skill set so let 's del- delve into these questions at a little deeper level and explain why it 's so important. The first is fairly intuitive, right? Um, we need to know what we want that 's the target that we talked about we 're taking the blindfold off and we 're saying this is the outcome that I want. The more specific it is, the better and I think there's there 's myths in um, the literature where we kind of are walking along and then all of a sudden we get hit by this lightning bolt of purpose and now all of our life becomes magical. I don't think clarity really works that way. I think it's, we're still gonna bump into a few walls, but a lot of that we can define so that we're not stumbling and taking forks in the road that aren't necessary. So but what, um what is just sitting down and finding out, what do we want for our life? What do we want for our business? What do we want for our relationships with our kids and our spouse? What do we, what's this all about? Why are we here? Um, Again, that's a process. The second step is why do we want it? That becomes the driver. That's when we get a lot more purposeful. Um, Chasing, let me use an example of money because most people want that outcome um, for a few reasons. One, it's very, it's a target that you can see. It's a target that you can, um, you can, set a, a number on. You can, you can manage it. It's very identifiable. It's something that you can have numeric based. But if you want to add some depth to that, you have to know why you want the money. There's essentially six human needs that are out there. And let's use money for an example. The money may bring you certainty. Money may bring you um, acceptance. Money may bring you significance. Money may bring you growth. Money may bring you contribution. The why changes things very much. If you're using money as a tool to for certainty, maybe you just don't have enough financial stability. If you're getting uh, money as significance, now maybe you're going to use money to buy toys and uh, show off what your vacation spot and your car and those sorts of things. The most powerful of those, um, you probably already identified as growth and contribution. Uh, most people's purpose when it comes down to it um, have those two themes in common. And so purpose can be this really mind blowing concept that you can sp- spend in a three day retreat and still not come out the other side knowing what your purpose is. But the one thing that I feel certain on is that a person that's growing and being fulfilled has a purpose of expansion. So growing people who are growing are usually more fulfilled than people who are on decline. Um, You just have to look at retirees, for example. Once they kind of lose that purpose, their ability to grow and contribute, they may find other outlets for it. They might be because it's a grandparent, because they're serving uh, charitable organizations and volunteering. But if they just check out and try and enjoy the fruits of their labor, they tend to deteriorate pretty quickly. And sometimes their demise comes quicker than they expect. I hate to say that, but um, we can learn a lot from that. The third most important question is who, I have to, who do I have to become to get that? Um, this is why I have this picture. Um, you see here the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos. He may, not long, may no longer be the richest man in the world because he's about to get a divorce, but I'll still use um, this situation as something um, that we can identify with. Look at the man on the right. I'm sorry, look at the man on the left. He, what does he sell? He sells books. He sells books online. He may be struggling at the time. He may be trying to get investors. Look at the man on the right. He has one of the most successful companies of all time. He's the richest man in the world. His identity has completely changed. His haircut, his muscles, his clothing. The guy on the left and the guy on the right probably wouldn't even sit down to, to dinner together. Why do I point this out? To grow Amazon from point A to point B, he had to evolve as a human. And that's where I think most dentists get tripped up is they get stuck in the how and they get stuck in you know the process and forget that I have to become a higher version of myself and there's ingredients to that that make it very predictable. And typically what happens is that we try and have more by doing more and there's a limit there. That's what I always try to do is like, okay, just grit and more hours and less sleep. And if I just kick down the door of opportunity a few more times, I'll get what I want. And that can be a very tiring, troubling, unfulfilling uh, way to go about it. So I'll, uh, I'll pause for just a second. Naren, do you have any thoughts on um, the discussion so far?
1: Absolutely. I want to thank all the people who have joined us so far. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I think, I love um, what you said, um, in terms of, um, you know, if the future in front of you is bigger than the past, and it's always something you can create and recreate, your life is never boring. You, you don't feel uh, like, what, what am I doing? Why am I here? And you don't feel that sense of uh, hopelessness, even though on paper, you might be very successful. You have the degree, you have the money, you have the accolades, you have everything but that emptiness, you won't have it if you can continue to create a future that's bigger than your past. So, so my question to you, David, is um, um, how do you kind of figure out what is that life that I want as opposed to a life that I see other quote-unquote successful dentists have and then I say I want the same thing?
0: Yeah. Um, very powerful question and a theme that I see. When we don't know what we want, we chase other people's visions and versions of success. Um, we think, well, he's, he or she seems to have what I want, so maybe I'll, that, I'll, uh, I'll chase that same path. I'll get into that discussion a little bit more when I talk more strategy, but um, I think it, you have to play the long game first, meaning what do I want for my life? What do I want at the end of my days? Um, there's, there's some things I'll talk about on the topic of mortality motivation that are very telling about a life well lived and a life of regret. I think we can, uh, steal concepts from them and, and there's warning signs that come from people that have lots of regret. And there's, there's, um, clues from people who have lots of fulfillment, but ultimately this is a matter of the heart um, to to answer your question very briefly. Dentists in general are very intellectual people and they try and um, innovate through intelligence. Matters of the heart are, as I say, um, very difficult to explain. Like if I were to ask you, what is love? You know when you feel it, but could you explain it? Could you teach it? same way with our path. Like we know when we're on path, when we know when we're off path. We know when something is congruent with our ideals. We know when it's not, and it's the constant process of both. Play, in my, in my, um, my um, training and in my life, it's both playing the long game and understanding that I have a life here. It's a game that I want to manage very well. But there are certain the building blocks are the days, and those. Um, both can synergize to give us real power and clarity. But again, I've never woke up one morning where I feel like ah, I got it. There's still some stumbling around and understanding. That's a process of sharpening those details. And the life I want in 2019 may not be the the life that I want in 2022. And so there's always this adjusting of sales depending on what I've learned, who I've become, and um, you know, the people around me and how I want to interact with them.
1: Thank you so much. So, you're going to be unfolding the answer, I guess, over time.
0: Yeah, a bit. Uh, I'll yeah. talk about four strategies that we'll roll into that I think um, can really give this some momentum and some power so that we don't feel like uh, it's just a workaday life. Uh, I'm here to pay bills and take care of um, patients and there's there, it can be much more robust than that and um, i'll I'll talk to you about some things that i've done incredibly wrong and learned from the school of hard knocks and some things that i've learned from masters um in in this kind of immersion that i've been in, in the last couple of years
1: and if any of you have any questions please uh, share it on the chat uh, or even feel free to ask uh, david uh, you know at the right time
0: yeah perfect so let's uh let's move on so the, the the important thing with high performance is it's not to be mistaken with achievement. Achievement is this up, 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 up. And sometimes there's a cost at that. Um, sometimes it's our relationships. Sometimes it's our, we, the burnout and the boredom that we've already talked about. There are certain danger zones that where we're just chasing more that can lead us to, um, these finish lines where we feel like, um, is that all there is? Um, I, I've, had that happen several times in my life. The most, um, the one I talk about the most is in dental school, I decided, uh, a a close friend of mine and I decided that we were gonna train for a marathon and most people thought we were crazy, like you should be all in in dental school, but we wanted a little bit more um, outside of dental school. And when we started out, we could barely run a few blocks, like we were not runners. And if you saw me physically, you would say, Dave Maloli is not a runner. So we decided to do this despite uh, our bad genetics and our poor training. We went from one block to one mile, one mile to 10 miles. And eventually in um, 2001, right after 9-11, we ran the Chicago Marathon. Amazing event, Um, especially in 2001. There were soldiers in full military, you know, rucksacks, firemen with full gear, people running with American flags, chance of USA, USA, incredible, incredible experience. But the thing that stuck with me is I was crossing the finish line and all I wanted to do was complete a marathon. I looked up and I looked at the time and I was like, ah, I could have done better. And so I left with this sense of emptiness even though I achieved my goal. Happened again when I graduated with dental, from dental school. I was like, well, I thought that would be the greatest day of my life. I got that diploma and I was left feeling empty. Um, As has happened again, when I've hit certain financial bank uh, benchmarks, where I thought if I hit this target, I'll have made it. And it always left me feeling empty. And so high performance is about engineering a methodology so we can still achieve, but it's not coming at the expense of our relationships. It's not requiring added stress and that we're gaining fulfillment as time goes on. And there's a methodology to this that's very predictable. It's not theory. And um, that's why I keep talking about this feeling because we want to feel purposeful and we want to feel fulfilled along the journey, not wait for this magical destination in hopes that we get there and we cross the finish line and we have that feeling because so many times, and I'm sure many of you can relate, we cross that finish line. It's like, ah, that's not what I thought it would be. So we want to engineer this so that it all we're, we're feeling good and great and we're contributing along the way, not just trying to hit these mountaintops, these peaks, these targets, and hope that, um, that we, we feel good when we get there. So along these, these struggles of building a practice, um, just to really briefly tell you, I started practice in 2009. It was, as you remember, not a very good economy. It was a startup practice. I was overconfident. I got into some financial trouble pretty quick. Um, not to mention, uh, we had a newborn at the time that I wasn't expecting, so another mouth to feed. I had tenants in North Carolina that were I had to evict, so I'm paying a mortgage here and a rent there, um, and it just wasn't working out, and I was burning at the candle at both ends, and this is where I was telling you that I was just trying to manhandle the situation. Um, a few years into that, my wife had a stroke, and so now I have these financial issues, I have these emotional issues and I'm just, I'm, I'm breaking. I'm literally breaking. And all along these struggles, I had this voice inside saying, there's got to be a better way. There's got to be a better way. And I slowly got on my feet, care recovered fully. I was putting the family back together. I was still trying to grow the practice. And I, I felt this, I started having these breakthroughs, but I knew there—there. There, ha- if I just studied the masters, that I could find a way, a science, not a theory that I could really, develop and not only help me get wins um, I could help other people get wins because I knew other dentists were struggling with the same thing so the first first master that I studied under was Brendan Burchard he's considered kind of the king of high performance I got a high performance certification under him a lot of what I talk about um, is studies from his high performance institute um, that really finds the ingredients of how do we create this life well lived and not just leave it up to chance his his statement that I'll share with you on clarity is your job is to define clarity, not hope to find it. So that's when we're sitting down, we're journaling, like right before, between Christmas and, and New Year's, I'm spending hours a day redefining this blueprint for my life, making sure that I'm not one, know what I want, and two, know why I want it, um, and that I'm on target with becoming the person that can achieve those sorts of things. The second person, that I've kind of immersed myself in as a master of leadership. John Maxwell, you'll probably recognize him. He has many best-selling books. um, And he says, clarity of vision creates clarity of priorities. And that's how, when I talk about the life vision, how we distill that down into priorities in our day-to-day life, making sure that we're checking those boxes and we're not leaving important friendships and relationships um, undone in hopes that we'll get to them someday when we have enough money and we have enough time. So let's dive into the strategies. Um, the first strategy is really important to me. It's, it's created um, surges in my life that have been really important. It's changed the trajectory of my entire course of life. Um, to, to backtrack almost 20 years, there was a time in undergrad where I was literally a deadbeat undergrad student. Um, I wasn't sure that I was even going to get a degree. I thought I might be a dropout. I was flirting with academic probation. I ate a lot of pizza, I put on a lot of weight, I dropped a lot of class, I drank a lot of beer. Um, I had some good times, but they weren't academically focused to be for sure. And um, along that journey, uh, my dad had 11 siblings and um his youngest brother Andy passed away suddenly of a heart condition. And my uncle Andy was like a like a second father to me. Um he just had lots of influence. He was he wasn't a man of position or stature. He actually drove a propane truck, but he just had so many uh, loving connections with family and friends and the community. And I realized in that moment that although I you know, anticipated it in being an old man, that I didn't know how much time I had left to live and that I wanted to play out the rest of my days very strategically. Almost serendipitously, at the same time, my mom gave me a book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Um, Clearly, I wasn't a reader. I'm not sure why she gave it to me. Um, But I decided to pick it up at that moment in time. And there's an exercise in there that's a eulogy exercise that essentially, as you attend your own funeral, as you engineer what a friend, a family member, a colleague would say about you. And that really scared me straight, those two things. And I went from deadbeat undergrad student to beelining for dental school. I almost became a four-year student. I started getting involved in student organizations just because I knew that the the path I was on would not get me to the outcome that I wanted. Um, Second instance is um, uh, five years ago now when my wife had her stroke. It wasn't my near-death experience, but I spent a couple days at her bedside um, wondering if we were going to, you know, be able to share another date, another dinner, another conversation. Um, if I was going to be a single father and it immediately shifted me from this achievement thing that I was going for, for most of my life to more of a lifestyle pursuit. Um, and um, it really re- rearranged my priorities. This Instagram post um, was actually from this morning and um, Brian Rose hosts a popular podcast called London Real. And I'll just go through this really quick because I think it summarizes what I'm trying to explain to you. Graveyards, my favorite place to visit. I look at all these dead people and wonder, what did they wish they would have done? What did they regret that they never did? What fears kept them from living the life that they would be proud of? And how can I, how can I not ever make the mistake of not going all in? Because at the end of the day, we all end up here dead. That's my thoughts for a Friday. So I think about that all the time. It's not consuming, I don't fear death. It's again, very liberating, just like accountability. But there's some things that we can learn from, um, I guess the the, the last thing I'll mention on this topic is that there's a a really important um, paper that turned into a book from a hospice nurse named Ronnie Ware. And she was noticing some themes as people were living out their final days and she, it's, you know, it's an hour conversation just in and of itself. And I encourage you to check it out. But the most important thing is kind of what Brian Rose is explaining here. The number one regret of the dying is, I wish I would have lived a life true to myself, not a life of what other people expected to me, expected of me. And that's what Naron was referring to is that we get chasing other people's visions and versions of success, and it leaves us being very empty. But yeah, we're running and hustling and on this treadmill, and running faster and faster, thinking that someday we'll figure this out. A lot of it be, can be engineered by building out this clarity and knowing what we want from the from the from the big game, the grand scheme. Knowing, appreciating that we're all terminally ill. Um, we just don't know uh, when our demise is coming. And again, not to not to live in fear that we're not going to see another day, but knowing that each day is an opportunity. And what we choose to do with that um, can be dictated if we're very intentional and we're not caught up in this very reactive race that's so easy to fall into if we're not designing this, if we just go into default. So I'll pause uh, again. Um, Naren, any thoughts or questions on this strategy number one?
1: Yes. um... You know, I had a—I almost died. You know, a couple of months ago, I had brain surgery, but uh, everything worked out. And uh, you're absolutely right. There was a moment where I thought I may not make it. And uh, what I regretted the most is um, uh, kind of treating life like a—how a, do I put it? Put it—a dustbin. You know, always not happy with what was going on. Always, you know, trying to fix things. Yeah. you know always trying to get somewhere like or oh, wherever I am is not good enough but I need to be somewhere else so those uh, I, I called it takes you know those were like takes you know like like I'm talking to you but I'm not here with you or my mind is somewhere else mm-hmm. you know worried about something else so I'm not here with you so I'm taking from you and taking from myself uh, you know or um, something is happening like then I realized how precious like every single day is the biggest gift we could ever have. I mean, there's no other gift we can ever want or we ever only, you will only realize it if you ever kind of come close to death, but you will realize there's no gift on the world. Nothing on the world is as valuable as having one more day on this earth. But then when we have it, we are like running around, like there's something wrong here. I need to survive this. I need to fix that. You know? So, um, So I made a kind of a decision, like, you know, I'm gonna make, like, imagine going into a test and you already have scored 100 marks out of 100 marks. That's just like, that's literally, you know, you being alive is kind of like that, you know. You already have 100 marks. Now, instead of surviving, fixing, being upset, just make the most of it. Create whatever you want to create uh, for your team, for your patients, for your family, for yourself, just from that sense of gratitude, from that sense of, you know what, I already scored hundred. Now let me go and do anything I want because you know what, I may not be here tomorrow. So uh, that's the only sure thing we all have, you know, we all are going to die. So, you know, so why not make the most of every day, every minute we have. So that's just my two cents. Thank you for sharing. That's
0: powerful. I, I, I'm glad you're well and I'm glad you're well with us today. And, I'm glad that you're willing to share that with us Um, because it's easy, like even months, you know, when when I was talking about being at Kara's bedside, not knowing if we'd see another day, like you'd swear in that moment that she and I would never have another argument, but sure enough, two or three months later, it's kind of like back to old habits, back to routines. And we need these reminders. And I'll talk about ways that we can perpetuate these reminders Um, so that we don't have to be scared straight again and again and again. Um, So, yeah, I I really appreciate that you're well, and uh, thank you for sharing that, Naren. You're welcome. So the second strategy is um, we're kind of reverse engineering now. We've talked about the end of our days. Um, I was uh, stationed in Europe when this book came out, 4-Hour Workweek. If you've read it, um, the, for, the title is a little bit deceiving. I, I'm, I wouldn't encourage a for our week, work, work week and I don't think Tim Ferriss would either. Um, and because a lot of our meaning comes from our work and the, the goal here is to create a work that we don't need to retire from, a, a sense of meaning that energizes us as opposed to depletes us. And that, again, that sounds like theory, but I feel closer and closer to that goal. Um, the clearer we get. So the lifestyle design, um, I'll tell you how I I use that purposefully and how I use that in my everyday life. Um, After Kara's stroke, um, my practice was starting to to climb out. I was putting a lot of the financial challenges behind me. I was getting the hospital bills paid off and I was feeling progress. Um, But again, I was feeling empty and I wasn't feeling like my full self. I was feeling depleted. And it was um, two years ago. I just basically got frustrated. And it was, again, between Christmas and New Year's. And I was like, this isn't right. Like, there's so much more available. And I had the background of a lot of leadership training, a lot of business training, a lot of personal development. But it just wasn't working for me it's because I didn't develop my own strategy. I was taking other people's word for it and I was developing, again, probably chasing other people's visions and versions of success and just chasing more. So as much as I'd like to say I was scared straight from Kara's stroke, there was still this tendency towards achievement of just chasing money or status or whatever it may have been. And so I sat down and I broke down my life into 16 different categories. I have a whiteboard over here to my white, um, to my right that has those 16 different categories. Again, uh, it's probably, a, I'd like to build this out into a, a day long seminar where I can get, help people get really clear. But those 16 different categories, I call it the four by four matrix, really define what do I want for my character? What do I want for my relationship? Certainly the financial is in there, but it's not, the centerpiece. It's more of the byproduct of a a business that's well-engineered relationships, and I want it to be something that where one thing energizes another. So for example, my morning routine, I take care of my mind. I take care of my spirit. I take care of my body. I learn a little bit about my business. I make deposits in the bank account of my, my son and my wife, and then I hit the door. Now I'm really revved up. I'm ready to go in as a producer. I know that's my job. I know that's primal within most of us to go out and kill the buffalo or whatever it may be, you know, centuries ago. Um, but if I'm not feeling powerful when I hit the door and I walk in with the case of the Mondays, what well, happens? Same thing with my team. They follow suit. Leadership by example. So lifestyle design, I originally learned from Tim Ferriss and I don't know, probably 2004. Um, it's really making sure that this is, a, this is a process engineered and that we're not Um, we're not anticipating or we're not looking for this delayed life plan, I think is what he calls it, which for most people is this retirement. We're building up this giant nest egg and then thinks there's this magical day where we're going to sell our practice and we're going to buy the RV and the fishing boat or whatever it is and we're going to live this life. But what happens? We have this pile of money and maybe not much energy. Maybe we've not taken care of ourselves over that time and you can see time and time again that this is a poorly executed strategy. Most of our meaning, I'll say again and again, most of our fulfillment comes from growth and contribution. So this can be engineered that you're essentially never retiring. You may cut back, you may not be a clinical dentist, you may have nothing to do with dentistry, but there are ways to create um, stepping stones so that this works well and that you're constantly growing and expanding as time goes on. Um, Naren, any thoughts on lifestyle design before I move on to the next strategy?
1: Yeah, just a quick question. So is the point of lifestyle design um, um, to kind of think through what kind of a life would you want to have or you want to create? So you kind of are not postponing happiness, but rather kind of building it as part of your life?
0: Precisely. I think the biggest... um, I'll try and not use colorful language. But um, one of the, my biggest frustrations, the thing that I chase, the thing that I see people talk about all the time is this work-life balance thing. It drives me crazy because inherently by the term, we're, at, we're living too much, and so we got to run into work, and we're, we're working too much, and we got to run over here to live. And now we've got this tug of war where we're not quite balanced, and it creates strain and guilt. The real balance that I know from being deep in the psychology of high performance and achievement and fulfillment and life well lived is the balance between gratitude, meaning I love my life, it's perfect in so many ways, and the balance with striving for more. That's the expansion piece. Once we figure that out, now we're living out our days and enjoying them, yet still saying there's more for me, I have more capacity, I have more ability. Going back to that Jeff Bezos um, picture, I, there's, a, there's another who that I can become. That never has to go away. And that's how we built out our life. But there are several components to that. Um, some of that has to do with daily habits and rituals that we build out. The, the, I have four columns that I'll go over in the life matrix. One is the core. Two is experience, so kind of like um, adventure, environment, travel, things like that. The third column is growth. This is where this expansion piece just becomes ingrained in everything that we do. And then the last piece is give. So you can see that the growth and contribution, if we engineer it right, are just inherent to what we're doing every day. And so we're getting that fulfillment, but yet we're not working ourselves where we're What we see most, and it's almost socialized, is that thank God it's Friday. Oh God, it's Monday, and then we're living for the weekend to recoup. And there's a way. There's a way to to make that all work much better. Life should not, or work should not be something that we dread. It should be something that we get meaning from. And for me, like my practice is in a lot of ways my dojo. It's where I develop myself as a leader, where I take on challenges, where I become a higher version of myself. I used to dread those challenges, but once I Embrace that they were part of every day. And a lot of what I got paid for was solving problems. So why would I wish them away? Um, once I really embraced that, it created a lot of freedom and the ability to kind of treat that as a game and uh, get a lot more fulfillment. So um, that's a long answer to to a really good question. But I think I go back to there's a way to integrate all of this sort of stuff so that we have this have it all lifestyle and we're not just feeling like we're sacrificing this for that. And that's what I spent most of my career doing. And the last two years have just like lit me on fire because
1: I feel like I've cracked the code. Thank you very much, David.
0: Of course. Okay, strategy three, daily disciplines. This is when we're, now we've taken the end of our days We've kind of started a blueprint, and this is an evolving blueprint. I don't expect anyone to sit down for a day, four hours, and have the perfect blueprint. That's why I have it on the whiteboard. I am erasing and revising this over time. I used to, I, remember, I remember in, in uh, undergrad, I don't know if this was like a sophisticated question that we would ask when we were uh, seniors. People used to ask, what's your five-year plan? And it, and it seemed like a really good idea at the time. Now I think life moves way too fast to have like a really well-defined five-year plan. You might have five-year targets, but to like plan it out quarter for quarter um, is really difficult to do. And that goes back to the how focus of dentists, um, because we're so procedurally, um, we're rewarded for being very routine, very procedure. Um, the The problem with that is that with life and business, sometimes step nine does not reveal itself until step eight is complete. And so to see the whole staircase some is sometimes not an option and to not engage in that is um, not gonna lead a path of fulfillment and joy and all these things that we're talking about. But now on strategy three, we're really getting into the how of clarity. I talked a little bit about that with the annual meeting I kind of have with myself over the holidays. Uh, revising that epic life plan. But now we need to get into daily disciplines. Um, For the sake of time, I'll share two, the two most important to me as far as gaining clarity. Um, One is meditation. Meditation is a time for me to step away from the noise to make sure that I'm on path. Um, I think really powerful lives have some connection to source and source is not something I will prescribe for anyone. Sometimes that's a walk in the woods. Sometimes that's a a visit to church. Sometimes that's alone time. Sometimes that's a combination of all of them. Whatever works for you, again, I'm not here. A good coach uh, protects the biases of themselves from their students. And I I want to make sure that I'm not uh, prescribing some of these things. But I see this come up again and again in High Performers, and that's meditation. I'll tell you what I do. Um, I've come through an evolution of doing this for maybe 15 years off and on. I can tell you when I'm in a really good habit of morning meditation, my problems just seem smaller. It's kind of where I feel like whatever the problem is, I'm kind of just above it and I can handle it. Where maybe if I'm not in that pocket of meditation that I get triggered, I get angry, it might be a patient issue, turns into a team issue, and a team issue turns into a family issue, and it just spirals out of control. Now I just kind of, when, when I'm in this discipline of meditation, it makes sure that I'm on course, I know I'm on course, and if I'm on, off course, it helps me re- reconnect, it helps me connect to source, it helps me get insights for problems that are kind of this open browser window, and then all of a sudden have this aha. The way that I compound the strategy every morning is journal. Journaling has been an evolution. It's something that I knew I should have done for a long time. I've really, if I'm going to be honest, really gotten into the habit of it maybe for a year. But meditation quickly followed by journaling is a powerful combo for me. And I find that um, it is for a lot of other people um, who have implemented this. The the. Meditation can be a very intimidating thing. Um, Most of our minds are running very quickly all day long, and a meditation is a suppression of that. But how do we know if we're doing it well? How do we know if we're doing it right? You get on Audible or iTunes and can find 197 different guided meditations. Um, This is a gadget. This is called Muse that you see this guy um, has on. It's a brain sensing headband that's essentially EEG connects to an app, and the earbuds um, you can. There's several different settings. I use one that's more of an ocean setting or a rainforest setting, and the you can hear the weather patterns get very calm. And when you're at the most calm, you hear birds chirping, and so you're getting immediate feedback um, during meditation if your quality is good or if you're struggling, so that you can get that dialed back in because. If you've meditated, you know it's very easy to sit there for 10 minutes and your mind's just racing out of control for 10 minutes. This gets you more dialed in. And then there's an app that shows the wavelength patterns to show when you're off and on. And for me, I've noticed that if I do it directly after I get out of bed, I'm more in the zone. If I've had my coffee and I've already done my cardio, I'm already kind of revved up and it doesn't work so well. So it just allows me feedback to get that dialed in. As far as journaling, I've done through several different versions. I like kind of a guided journal. Um, best Self Journal is the one that I, I would have sworn by a year ago. Um, but one of my mentors, Brendan Bouchard, just came up with a, a journal called the High Performance Journal that aligns with these same strategies. And it's kind of a self-coaching thing to make sure that we're prepped for the day, that we're anticipating any challenges, that we know we're designing that day and we're not leaving it up to chance because if we leave it up to chance, we know we're gonna move immediately into reactive mode. And this gives us a proactive strategy so that we hit the door and we have a game plan. We win in the mind first um, before we walk into the practice. So I'll leave that as two daily disciplines. Um, there are sure there are many others, but those, if I could get everyone in the world to stick with those two, that would be sufficient to change the trajectory of a life and a career, I'm sure of it. Darren, any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, what's the, what's the headphone type thing you were talking about? What's the name of that product? It's
0: called Muse, M-U-S-E. Oh, Muse, okay, got it. Okay, let's move on. Finally, meeting rhythm. So if we're going to have this clarity and we're a practice owner, we need to make sure our organization follows suit. And, um, what I was as a leader, um, was a fault finder for a long time. I, um, never let my team get clear about what the targets were, what success looked like, and they were probably doing their best. And when it was insufficient, then I would uh, reprimand them for it, or I would get ticked and they would wonder why Dr. Maloney is stomping around the office today. Um, again, there's a much better strategy for that. I'll talk to you. Uh, about it very briefly and how I utilize it. One is morning huddles. Everyone in dentistry hears of morning huddles. Some are poorly executed, some are well executed, some are non-existent, some are hit and miss. Um, Mine has evolved. It used to be very targeted on the financial side. And then we talk about in detail every appointment. Now it's more culture-based. We start off the huddle with Uh, greatness and gratitude because we want to set the tone for the day. Essentially every team member, I want them engaged and revved up before the day starts. I don't want what's wrong with the schedule and what's wrong with the day and what's wrong with the equipment to dictate the rest of our day. So the team starts off with recognizing someone else who's gone above and beyond, who's exceeded expectations. Um, The cool thing about that is not only does it set a positive tone for the day, Everyone likes to be recognized. So if someone has gone a couple days without being recognized, I feel like they kind of step it up. Furthermore, the day previous, people are looking for someone to recognize. So it's this kind of beautiful spiral that goes on and on. Sure, we dig into the um, schedule. We talk about bottlenecks. We talk about anything that's unusual. We talk about family members that are coming in as a group, maybe. Bethany is a hygiene patient and then she's gonna move over and get a couple fillings done. So anything, any opportunities, any challenges we identify very quickly, but it just takes 10 minutes. The second thing that I would say is the annual meeting and the monthly meeting. In our office, every meeting has a very similar structure. One is we go through a quick AAR. AAR is a term that I learned when I was in the military. It's after action review, very simple. Well, went well last month, what didn't go so well? Last month, what do we want to focus on in the next month? We have it at the very beginning of month. Then um, we kind of have a dialogue about that. I want it to be very um, collaborative. So I talk as little as I can, and I ask lots of questions. And as a leader, I also want to be a trainer. So I want to be, sometimes I need to direct, sometimes I need to coach, and sometimes I need to train. And the training has evolved. We used to do stuff on apnea, Invisalign, case acceptance. Now um, to kind of enhance the culture and give the team something that they can't get anywhere else. I do a training every month on something that they can certainly implement in the practice. I wanna help provide to the practice, but I want it to make them better spouses, better parents, better whatever is important to them. And so now we focus on um, things that spur growth. Um, And that's something that I would add as far as the clarity piece is that my team knows that our business stands for three things. It stands for goodwill, it stands for case acceptance, and it stands for growth. And that's very easy for them to self-evaluate every appointment every day. Are they leveling up there? Are they exceeding expectations there? Are they delivering value to the patient through that lens? So that's, no one would be confused in my practice if I said, what are the three pillars that the practice is established on? The second thing comes out of the the mission. in my practice, our, our mission is to create trusting friendships with our patients and inspire them to a lifetime of healthy and beautiful smiles. I said that very quickly. It looks really good on the wall. Essentially, what did I say? Goodwill and case acceptance. Our mission is to create trusting friendships, goodwill, and inspire them to a lifetime of healthy and beautiful smiles, case acceptance. Case acceptance gets misconstrued, I think, in dentistry as a sales pitch. Um, Good case acceptance is an understanding that all we're trying to do is help people want what they need. Good case acceptance helps serve the patient. It's never gonna be cheaper. It's never gonna be less painful. Um, if, the, if we let this patient go out the door without this DO on 13, could it possibly become an endo buildup and crown and 10X the expense and triple the chair time? Of course it can. So. It's really making this whole thing patient-focused, and the revenues are only a byproduct of engineering this correctly. Um, the th- The other piece that I would add to this is that the mission drives the mission, drives the values. And we just had our team meeting um, on Tuesday, and we go over the mission. We go over some of the targets, the goals. We kind of have an annual. Ar, but then I let them build the, essentially the get really clear on what the culture is and what the values are. And I add very little of this um, because I wanna know why do they come to work besides a paycheck? So I'll ask them these two questions. What would make you feel inspired to go to work and make you feel fulfilled when you go home? This is you getting clear on what they want so that we're creating all these series of powerful win-win relationships. I don't ever want them to take advantage of me and I don't wanna take advantage of them. And that's what leadership is. It's very choice-based and trust-based. Management is very um, compliance-based and is low trust. So I have to extend trust if I'm gonna get trust and that's how I do it, is really making it important to the organization what they want from it. What comes of it, I'll give you some examples. It's a really amazing process. These are the pieces that they feel like are really important to our culture. Um, They want a second family. They want laughter. They want appreciation. But they want challenges and they want accomplishment. They want growth, connection, support, loyalty, and commitment. Now, guess what? That's what I want, too. It's aligning all these sorts of things so that we create this powerful force. And it's not this crazy tug of war that I used to go through when it was low trust and uh, they're milking the clock and now I got to correct them. And now I got to make this rule or this policy, this protects the practice. Now I want very clearly going back to clarity. I want all their decisions and all my decisions to fall into this triangle. What's good for the practice, what's good for the patients and what's good for the team. There, there's hardly any decisions or dilemmas that fall outside that triangle. And if we can align there, if we can be clear about those outcomes, It makes it very simple. What I told you is not sophisticated. I really believe that every dental business has those three foundations, growth, goodwill, case acceptance. Um, How you explain that and how you come to that agreement with your team is really up to you, but I can't think of an exception to that. That's what I consider the business of dentistry in its simplest form. And sometimes um, we have to get that clear. Uh, with ourselves and our team. So it's not this confusing thing and we don't have these targets that we can't um, agree upon. Um, Certainly I have financial targets. I've broken it down into daily targets which are broken down to targets per column, which end up being targets per provider per hour. Very easy, we know if we hit it or not, but we don't get lost in focusing on the money. I would rather have goodwill over case acceptance. If there's like somebody's not ready, then I'm not ready. Um, goodwill. When in doubt, goodwill always comes first. The values that they came up with. I have them come with three values, so they get we get very clear. The beautiful thing about this is that there are certain values that we've talked about so much. Like courage is something. That, courage over comfort is something we talk about a lot in the practice. They've become so ingrained that the team essentially says. We don't need to focus that on anymore. It's just part of who we are. Let's move on to other things. So they want to be challenged by this. We distill these. In this case, it would have been about 21 values. There's some redundancy in there, synonyms like integrity, um, that sort of thing. We distill it down so that each person is championing one value. And it's all their choice. I don't prescribe any of it. But again, what they want is what I want. And um, the values that they came up with this for this year were integrity, fearless, mastery, loyalty, calm and optimism. And each person has, um, has one that they decided that they wanna like make really important to them. And then we discussed this again, we beat that drum in the huddles, the monthly meetings. The third piece is the one-on-one meetings. I used to do team evaluations. They hated it, I hated it, but now it's really clear what our objective is. I break down our mission, our values and our culture and on an itemized list, I have them self-evaluate. Then I review it with them. They're self-aware, like never once did I look at this list, for example, using integrity and say, well, gosh, they rate themselves a nine and I would rate them a four. Like it may be a difference of one, but generally speaking, if you even have a decent team, they know what they're struggling with, and your job just becomes a facilitator. What training, what tools do you need to level that up, one or two? And then I just end the conversation with what, how do you wanna challenge yourself in the next 90 days and how can I hold you accountable? Now I'm, in, I'm a welcome guest as, a well, as opposed to a unwelcome pest. Um, instead of fighting in a tug of war, now we've got alignment, we've got clarity, and the outcomes are very, very predictable. Not to manage the theme that you've, not to mention the theme that you've seen throughout this conversation today is that I wanna feel good at the end of the day and I want them to feel good at the end of the day because the day is the building block for this epic life, this end point without regret that that I want um, of the people that I connect with. I wanna make that easier for them. That's that's the mission. So that's strategy four. We are running low on time. Um, We're right at about an hour. Um, I'll open it up to any questions, comments, um, and I'll go back to the statement that I think has been, the more I talk to dentists through the podcast, through coaching, um, th- through meetings as I speak in the back of the room when people are very authentic and vulnerable for me, to me, this is the theme that I see. Dentists suffer because they don't know what they want and they're killing themselves to get it. If we know what we want and we start to developing a strategy that integrates, and does it steal one part of life from another? Um, It creates a pattern, a very predictable pattern where we can start having our best year every year. And if we extend that out over 10 or 20 years, there's nothing that we can't have. Um, We have time on our side and we have compounding, the compound effect where this in some ways gets easier and easier because it becomes ritualized and habitual. And I just like dentists to know that there's a better better way. I'm not saying I don't have my challenges. I'm not saying I don't have my off days. I don't say that I, I don't have things blindside me. Um, in fact, this last year, I had almost every single one of my team turn over and move away. And so I had to reload my whole team and get them integrated into this culture. And some weren't fits. Uh, three of them, the team basically told me within a week or two, hey, this isn't going to work. There's no amount of training. Like they just don't think like we think. And that's what a powerful culture is, is a clarity an immune system that brings the good stuff in and keeps the bad stuff out. So as a leader, it's made things very, very easy for me, simplified things um, so that I can have the, certainly the achievement, the financial outcomes, but all the, you know, the knowing that the team has my back and I have their back because we have a common language and we have clarity about what the outcomes are. So all that to say is that there's a better way. Um, It will continue this conversation um, next month with energy. But again, these aren't my theories. These are things that work in every organization, every life, Um, but it has to be systemized just like we have our implant system, our ortho system, our restorative systems. There's ways to create systems in our lives and habits and rituals that really give us strength and power and fulfillment and joy, so that we're not waiting till that miraculous day where where we think it's gonna come. Um, we, we're building that into the system. So um, I will leave it at that. What questions, comments, Naren, any thoughts uh, before we wrap things up?
1: Um, I think I have asked enough questions. I don't wanna ask more. Uh, I want to thank you, though, David, for, you know, because, uh, unfortunately, life doesn't teach us in a nice, uh, bound book. It teaches uh, by kind of, you know, beating us up. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so you have taken a lot of beating uh, and, and, of course, uh, learned a lot. You have been a student, always looking for, you know, um, what am I missing? What, what am I not noticing? So I really appreciate you doing this for us.
0: Well, as you can tell, it's a passion of mine, and if there's anything that I can do to help um, make that road less tortuous. Um, I'm happy to share the insights, the lessons from the School of Hard Knocks. I probably, this is the stuff that if I could have just known it 15 years ago, if I would have had a class on it in dental school, I don't know if I would have listened, but if I would have and integrated it, it would have uh, shortened the learning curve by years and uh, been, you know, a lot less sleepless nights and wondering if I was going to make it or crash and burn or i um, wondering what it's all about. So uh, I, I love sharing it and it's, r- it's really a joy to be able to do it. So thank you all for being here today. Um, the last thing that I'll share um, before we close out is that this is a monthly um, meeting that we'll have for the rest of the year, essentially, and we'll continue to progress. We've done accountability, we've done clarity, um, and next sh- month will be on February 8th, same time, Eastern um, and we'll dig into energy. Energy uh, is again, I hate to say it's my favorite, but um, most people are we're socialized to be so busy and we burn the candle at both ends and we don't take care of the racehorse until we have a nervous breakdown or a heart attack or some sort of crisis where our back is breaking. And um, Dentistry is physically demanding, it's emotionally demanding and there are ways to actually derive energy so that uh, we don't have to be on the decline as we get older and older. And there's strategies that we'll, we'll talk about and roll that out. Um, I want to thank Naren. I want to thank Equa Marketing for sponsoring this. I really hope you all have the best year ever in 2019. And you start implementing these things so that you can see that this isn't just some platitude best year every year. It's something that you can actually um, achieve predictably if you, if you integrate these processes. Any questions, please reach out to me, dr.dave at relentlessdentist.com. And uh, again, I really want to thank you for spending this hour with me.
1: Any last questions before
0: I close out for the day?
1: I want to once again thank you, David, and all the attendees. So really appreciate it. You know, if you like it, share it. Um, one of the things I like to do f- uh, from these webinars that I've done with you, David, is uh, I try to kind of pick the three best ideas I got from you and I try, I try it on. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just a tip if anybody's interested.
0: Very good. So these are all recorded. Um, if you need access to them, let me know. I'm happy to share. Have an awesome weekend. Thanks for spending time with me. Uh, Like Naren said, I hope you roll out some of these concepts and put it into practice right away. Um, We all have notebooks full of ideas that never get implemented. And these things work if you work the idea. So I appreciate the time. Naren, thanks again for the opportunity and we'll see you all again next month.